Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And welcome to episode 279 of Forty Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And this week we watched The Gambler with James Conn and then the remake with Mark Wahlberg. And I'm confused because sat there for four hours and not once did anyone get on a train bound for nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> and he definitely did not know when to fold him. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> yeah, that... I, I we'll actually well we we we'll get to it, but I actually did watch the uh the Willie Nelson or no uh <laughs> Kenny, Rogers. Yeah, Kenny Rogers version. I'm glad I messaged you guys because that would have made it for a weird conversation. The, the Willie Nelson one takes place in Dubai. <sighs> totally different. <laughs> so I it's don't an, want this so it's in India for this week. <laughs> this is going to be the thing. World ge- world geography is going to be the thing. I hate this episode already. <laughs> If you like world geography, and I don't, you might like the shows on the Podcast Collective, such as the Bad Parenting Podcast, The Internet with Scott the Pool Boy, The Empty Rant Podcast, Mom and the New Dad, and of course, the Red Dead Radio Hour. Well, he's changed it up. Was that yeah. was that rad? It was definitely Dad. <laughs> I was really, really hoping you were going to say the Portland Beer Club podcast so I could say known for being the capital of Czechoslovakia. Oh. One of these days, I'm just going to not end it with Rad Dad just to see if we break <laughs> Joel. It'd be a brown, brown. I'm a creature of habit. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, so I want, uh, if you're looking for our new stuff, this is where it shows up after we record it along with our older stuff. Just keep going with it. Don't even mention it. iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com, Podchaser, where we have a new review. Uh, Lazarus79, whomever that is, gave us a five-star rating and says, these guys crack me up. It's fun reminiscing about the past and listening to their opinions about current shows and movies. Nice. So thank you, Lazarus79. He came back from the dead just to leave us a review. I always appreciate when someone leaves us a review because for at least a little bit, we end up on the Podchaser front page. Yeah. And if you want to, definitely leave us a review there because you can listen to our shows there and it'll connect you with other cool podcasts that are kind of like ours and that sort of thing. So, well, yeah, on that note, that is the feedback we have. Unless, of course, we have a, do we have a voicemail? Oh, no, not yet. Not yet. So somebody do something offensive this show so we can get some voicemails. I Patrick. try every show. 
and you do well. You're extremely you. offensive on every show. It's just I'm trying to figure out what the trigger is for these people. We'll get there. Have, yeah, let's not do that. Have they become <laughs> so? Are they so jaded that Patrick's Texas racism doesn't offend them anymore? Uh, but in the meantime, it is about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. All right, so this is the date, February 17th, 1975, which is the release of the gambler uh, with, uh, what's his name, James Conant. Yes. Yes, it would have been funny. Sorry, I, I apologize. I, I should have put that in there. I I made the mistake of not putting the right thing in the. No, no, no. If, if it's not in the show notes, you can't read it either. That's the problem. That's the thing. <laughs> you you put something in the show notes. I'm going to read it. Right, and if it's not there, you're going to be like, uh, nah, bye, bye. <laughs> I'm going to start saying syllables. I know all those things are not words, but they are syllables. If you re- put them in a jar and shake them up, you might get a sentence. Because <laughs> I, I just noticed that I was like, well, I didn't type it out. That that's the release of the movie. Surely I won't need to. No. It would have been funny if you would have done it for the the week that the gambler with Kenny Rogers was released, though. That oh, would have been funny, yeah. I should have done that. Damn it. All right. Well, let's start over. Okay. Stay classy, San Diego. Give me an hour to rewrite this shit. Here we go. Starting over. Welcome to episode this one of 40 Going on 14. Music. Wait. Movies <laughs> and TV. I, wait, I haven't watched <laughs> I haven't watched Conan the Barbarian in years. <laughs> Slacker. All right, some music. The number one song in the land was You're No Good by Linda Ronstadt. It's a good song. He yeah. says he says to okay, apparently nobody agreeing to him. No, I mean I don't dislike it. I just I mean I think I think it's overrated personally. I don't I don't hate it. I just I think it's kind of a their song. I like a lot of other stuff of hers better. Blue Bayou is a better song. Oh, Blue Bayou is a fantastic one. Huh. Uh-oh. 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 <laughs> See, for me, You're No Good kind of sums up Linda Ronstadt. Oh, oh here we go. Uh, I, mean, was... I don't hate her. I, I guess eh, I guess it's closer to a, a nothing. She was, when she was uh, first broke out in the scene, uh, she was gorgeous. Linda Ronstadt? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. And she and, uh, she and Steve Martin used to date when they were younger. Really? really? Yep. Huh. Yep. Interesting. They I'm were just both going in there. through her top songs, and just, are there any of these I like? And not so much. You don't like Blue Bayou? Nah. Oh, wow. <clears throat> I mean, she's done some covers of songs I like that other people did. Well, what do you think of Pat Benatar? Oh, I love Pat Benatar. I think they're kind of similar. What? Pat Benatar's a little rockier, but yeah. Hmm. You do music weird. All right. So Nanase Ayakawa was born February 16th, a Japanese rock and pop singer. She has sung and participated in several singing competitions throughout her school years. She has released 17 albums and several singles since 1996. Huh. I don't know her. I don't either. Maybe that's Pat. Nope. I, but I did watch one of her videos called Midnight Blue. I was not impressed. But I also don't speak Japanese. So I don't know if lyrically it was a great song, but I wasn't impressed with the the song itself from what I could 
and I'm I'm losing <laughs> losing steam, man. <laughs> we were just letting you go. He's just been mumbling for the last three minutes. We decided, <laughs> let's see where this goes. Let this, let this play out. On February, on February 18th, at the second annual American Music Awards, Olivia Newton-John and John Denver won. Hooray! Yeah, that's really all there was to say about that. For yeah. what? They won for um, Best Artists, I guess. Best female, best male artists. I don't know. Who I won didn't look what? Up any further? That was. Shut up and look it up yourself if you need to know that much. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to quiz him for additional details on all of these. <laughs> we need to start over. Damn it. <laughs> this week, in... all right. Uh, Brian Thomas Luttrell was born February 20th. He's an American singer, songwriter, and actor, best known as a member of the Backstreet Boys. He is also a CCM singer and released a solo album, Welcome Home, in 2006. Brian has also had five top 20 solo singles on the Christian charts in the U.S. On April 10th, 2015, Latrell was inducted into the Kentucky Music Hall of Fame, along with his cousin and bandmate, Kevin Richardson. Also, I believe, from Backstreet Boys, yes? Yeah. Is that right? That's why, that's why it's a bandmate. Huh. Well, I didn't know if, if he was, you know, like... Yeah, I didn't know they were cousins. That's why I included that, because I thought that was a pretty cool fact. Hmm. I don't mean, like... Stop with your naysaying. No, <laughs> no nobody has said anything. Well, I thought that was I thought that was a, hmm, you're wrong again. No, no, I, I was just trying to think of... I, my first reaction was that, like, Brian Luttrell... I couldn't place who he was. Then He's I was trying a blonde to think of, kid from Backstreet Boys. Yeah. Uh, then I was trying to think of. Wait a minute. Do I actually know any of the Backstreet Boys? <laughs> he was the lead singer guy, wasn't he? And I was like, oh, okay, Nick Carter. Yeah, okay, Nick Carter. That was one of the Backstreet Boys. Yeah, but he was the kid with the 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 blonde tips and like the dark roots and like he was. I think he was the lead singer. Yeah, I think he was kind of considered the lead guy. Yeah, he he sung most of the songs. I think. Who was I mean, the one with the mustache? That was Kevin Federline. Uh, what? <laughs> Federline? Wait. Huh? Federline? I mean, not Federline. Um... <laughs> K-Fed was in Backstreet Fitzger Boys? Fitzgerald. Kevin Fitzgerald, wasn't that his name? Uh, that's not a member of the Backstreet Boys. Fuck if I know, man. <laughs> AJ McLean? That's not Fitzgerald? I don't know. I, th I, think, I think we've gotten to my limits of, back, of the Backstreet Boys. So. Now get him on NSYNC. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, NSYNC. You know, I'll just pull out all my posters and show you who's who. I'm a 99 degrees kind of guy. Oh. Was that 98 degrees? And, and Joel and Joel's like O Town. Oh Jesus! He liked the. Joel, like Joel's like degrees. I like the early O Town stuff. They only had three albums. Well, yeah, he liked the first one. <laughs> before they got popular. I liked them before the they were. <laughs> Mike fucked up. What? He Did said I? 99 degrees. Oh whatever! Not like anybody. Degrees. Not like anybody cares. I'm just keeping quiet because I've already said I like coloring me bad. So yeah, you have no leg to stand on here. Uh, yeah. Hey, Josh, you know what time it is? It's time to start over. <laughs> <laughs> hey, folks, welcome to Forty Going Fourteen. This is episode one. Tick tock, get up, don't stop. Oh God, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> no. On February twenty first, John Lennon released his rock and roll LP featuring his favorite rock songs from the nineteen fifties. To promote the album, he conducted a telephone interview with 20 rock radio stations simultaneously. That's a feat. Hmm. Anybody yeah, done I that? Yeah, I thought that was pretty impressive. So. Yeah. That's crazy. 
They're just 20 people trying to get their voices in there so they can actually ask them a question. <laughs> and every five minutes, is, is someone new on? <laughs> <laughs> can you Who mute did? your mute yourself, please? <laughs> yeah, John Lennon is definitely one of those people that, like, I don't want to learn any more about him because the more I learn about him, the less I like him. Mm-hmm. Like, as a human. Yeah, yeah he, he apparently was not a very good uh, person to be in a relationship with. Well, are you talking about the article that I saw about him and Julian Lennon not being being cut out of the will? That was the most recent. I was like, oh, man, now I know another thing about John Lennon. Well, it's never a a good thing. It was a tag team. I mean, John Lennon cut him out of the will. And then Yoko Ono made him try to uh, try to auction off the letters that he wrote to him. You know, letters that had to bid on stuff that was addressed to him. Mm -hmm. And then he didn't even win. She sold it to somebody else. He's no Kevin Federline. All right, moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was The Towering Inferno. They need to remake that. They did. Did they? Yeah. I thought they did. The Rock just did it. (laughs) That was called Skyscraper. Same thing. No, it's not. (laughs) That's like Die Hard, but with The Rock. And a a guy with no legs. An amputated leg or whatever. Yeah, some kind of leg thing. I thought he was missing an arm. He had an arm or a leg gone or you know, a testicle or something, or he was missing. He was had an extra chromosome or something. I don't know what it was. It was just The Rock's head. <laughs> a head on a skateboard. It's prosthetic. Prosthetic right. head? No, they just CGI'd The Rock for the entire film. <laughs> he wasn't even in the film. He was just CGI. This is Scorpion King running around. Yeah, still better than The Mummy 2. Ugh. <laughs> All right. Uh, Norman Triegel was an American operatic bass baritone who was acclaimed for his great abilities as an operatic singing slash oh, actor. Singer, singer, singer slash actor. Sorry. In film and on stage, he specialized in roles that evoked villainy and terror. Ah, a man after my own parts. <laughs> he sang in many experimental productions and participated in several important premieres. Perhaps his greatest roles were in Faust as Mephistopheles. And Carmen and his Escamillo. On February 16th, Triegel was found dead in his New Orleans apartment from an accidental overdose of sleeping pills prescribed for his chronic insomnia. A fragment of his singing voice is heard in Batman Begins as the young Bruce Wayne and his parents are attending a performance of Mephistophele. And the recording used from the uh, for the audio is from Triegel's 1973 set. Huh. Hmm. Kind of cool. I thought so. Yeah, nice, nice pull on the trivia. Thank you. Robert Strauss became most known in, in Hollywood films of the 1950s, especially Stalag Stevenstein. Stalag Seventeen. Stalag the Fourth. Wow, that's that's harder to say than I imagined it would be. Stalag Seventeen, for which he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. He co-starred in several movies and TV shows and was a successful character actor for years. He died from a stroke on February 20th, two years after a first stroke left him bedridden. Oh, so Pat's going to die. Multiple strokes. Ah, I see. What not you did not there. those kind. Not those kind. I like Stalag 17. Have you guys seen it? Uh, never I never have. Oh, it's the it's the um the movie that they based uh, Hogan's, Hogan's Heroes Hero. off of. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't that the Hogan's Hero thing? Yeah, I had uh, Peter Graves and uh, William Holden, uh, Otto Preminger as uh, the German, like the German. Uh, what what what? I see nothing. 
Oh, Colonel Plank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've got now. I've got in my head. You've got to know William Holden. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wrapping funny. up movies on February 22nd. Drew Barrymore was born in Los Angeles, California. I mean, I didn't think I needed to say any more. We've got a whole damn, well, not a whole show about her, but we got, we've talked about her enough. Everybody Quite knows who she is. I don't think anybody's saying, tell me more about Drew Barrymore. We did a Drew Barrymore show? No, no I, we did a Cameron Diaz show. That's why I stopped myself. But. You know, they're the same person. Yeah, they're about the same person, really. No, they're not. Eh, whatever. They're not even close. <laughs> they're both, they're both, you know, they both have heads. Do they now? They're both from Dubai. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So TV, the top shows in the land were All in the Family, Rich Man, Poor Man, Laverne and Shirley, Maud, and The Bionic Woman. A solid lineup. And funny enough, it's the exact same lineup from two weeks ago. Really? Huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Wow. Uh, Sarah Joy Brown, no relation, is sometimes Hi, credited simply <laughs> as Sarah Brown, was born Hi, Sarah. on <laughs> February 18th. She is perhaps best known for her originating the role of Carly Corinthos on General Hospital from 1996 to 2001, for which she won three Daytime Emmy Awards. In 2008, she returned to General Hospital in a different role as Claudia Zakara. Dun, dun, dun. That sounds like a villain name. She exited General Hospital once again in 2009 and began appearing on The Bold and the Beautiful. Like, I mean, only in soap opera land can you just, like, play one character and later be like, hey, I'm a new guy. Well, <laughs> I'm back. Well, well, unless unless Deadwood, you know. Well, for the women, they just change the color of their hair. For the men, they just give you a goatee. Or a scar or something. Yeah, and then they can later reveal your secret twin. Yeah. Yep. Or, or the trim, but scar, goatee, and eye patch. Oh. Mm. It's like three different characters. I know, right? <laughs> Dude uh, has range. <laughs> Wait, wait, you wait till episode three when he puts on the eye he's, patch. He, he's like the Paul Giamatti of soap operas. <laughs> Shit, you almost made me spit tequila <laughs> all over my keyboard. All right, Brendan Small was born February 15th. He is an American stand up comedian, animator, actor, writer, director, producer, singer, and musician. Wow. Known for co creating the series Home Movies and Metal Apocalypse. Oh. Yeah, he is also known for creating, performing, and writing the music for the virtual melodic death metal band Death Clock. He has had several appearances on many other different sitcoms, including Reno 911, Bob's Burgers, The Adventure Brothers, and the I, what I assume is the acronym of the week, ATHF. I'm pretty sure that's Alan Thick hates farts. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The real show isn't that far off. <laughs> yeah, you're really yeah. You're in the same ballpark. It's uh, what is that, Joel? Aqua Teen Hunger Force, baby. Oh, I love that show. Missed that I've show. never actually watched it. Oh my god, it's so weird. You would hate it, Pat. You that's, would hate I, it. I watched one. That's actually I did watch one episode and I didn't care for it. So yeah, yeah you but, would hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's about as yeah. weird as you can get. Where I still enjoy it. A lot of Adult Swim stuff has gone too far for me, like, especially the last couple of years. Like Squidbillies? Squidbillies is over the line. Yeah. I never, I tried. I could never get into it. Yeah, I, I was confused at the outset. The very beginning of it, it was like, they're squids. Why are they living in the forest? Um, 
Well, I mean, and a lot of the live action stuff, like even uh, Tim and Eric is a little too strange for me. I like that. See, there you go. Just like. But that that is pu pushing it. Although I like the spinoff with uh, 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 Steve Brule. Is that check it out with Dr. Yeah. Steve? Yeah. I mean, his segment was show. funny. Yeah. Yeah. His spinoff show was hilarious. So I, good. I think my favorite <laughs> Steve Brule one was more he's talking about fruit. He has no like he has a he has a grapefruit and he has, he doesn't know what it is. Hmm. Didn't they're they're all they're all so good. Yes. So on uh, February twentieth in L.A., Troy Slayton was born. He went on to greatness when he played Jerry on what? Another acronym of the week? What? Did I do it again? You not oh. only did you do two acronyms of the week, but you stacked them. They're literally two lines away from each yeah, other. Yeah, sorry, Parker Lewis can't lose. We'll just it's it a terrible it. acronym of the week. <laughs> What's crazy is they're so close, and I didn't notice the second one. Neither one of us did. The two people that are supposed to notice it the most didn't even notice it. Yeah, that's you, funny. You wrote Pat it. Like, well, no, because the thing is, I do this I, when I, when I do them. Wait, Joel had fans. one. What? Joel just had Pat, one. Pat likes cocklicks. <laughs> Especially from Jerry. <laughs> I mean, if you know, any listeners out there, you know, if you, if you want to send them, send me some. If you see Patrick in public, just remember that. Yep. <laughs> How many licks does it take back to get to the center? <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> but no, when I don't do the twee all in one setting, that'll happen because like I'll do one and then later, you know, I'll, I'll finish it up and I'm. They're you know, right next to each other. That's, Usually one of us would catch it, especially. And that's what I was just saying. Yeah, it's funny that the two of us are the ones that would normally notice that, and neither one of us did. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, oh well. Yeah, weed is a hell of a drug. What can I say? We'll fix it in post. <laughs> Moving on to sports. Should I have written something down there? No. Oh. Fuck it. No, this is this is fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to sports. Scott L. Pollard, born February twelfth, is an American retired professional basketball player and amateur actor. In an eleven year NBA career, he played for five teams, spending the bulk of his career with the Sacramento Kings and the Indiana Pacers. He portrayed the titular Axeman in the horror film Axeman at Cutter's Creek. Oh yeah. You know that you guys know that one? Anyone know that one? Yeah, I do. Okay, I figured you. I figured you of all people were the best one for that one. Yeah, yep. yeah, I never heard of it. Yeah, it's... he was also in, in the film Jayhawkers and appeared as a contestant on Survivor Ka Rong, competing in the thirty-second <laughs> season of the competitive reality series. It sounds like you're being racist, but that's actually what it says. <laughs> I mean, that's that's uh... got to be how that's pronounced, right? I mean, is it close? I, I mean, yeah. yeah, shit, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, moving on. At the 17th Daytona 500 on February <laughs> on February 16th, Benny Parsons won after race leader David Pearson was involved in a wreck on the backstretch. Parsons avoided the accident and took the victory. And lastly, oh boy, oh here we go. Syed Nazir Ali was a prominent player from the early days of Indian cricket. He was an attacking right-handed batsman, a fast medium bowler, and a good fielder. He played in India's first test 
What are you laughing at? <laughs> he's an attacking right-hand batsman. He's a fast medium bowler, and he's a good fielder. Yeah, he didn't do anything extraordinary in fielding. He was good. You he's know, he's, good. He was fine. He was fine. Let's this batsman up there with like a pistol. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like the last Boy Scout all over yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> he played in India's first test match in 1932, uh-oh, scoring 13 and 6, and he picked up an injury while fielding during in- England's second innings. Wait, is that actually wait, is that a, something that happens in the game or did he actually hurt himself? Is that like getting I, a maiden? I, I got, yeah, I think he got hurt. I think oh, it, okay. it, like, yeah, picked up an injury is the phrase that well, was if you're used. an attacking right-handed batsman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the guy's got a gun. <laughs> <laughs> He scored 1,020 runs and took 23 wickets in the tour. So that's pretty good, right? Sure. Yeah. Nazir's most memorable feat was perhaps the 52. <gasps> We're about to learn new cricket shit because <laughs> I don't know any of this after Not this. Not the 52. <laughs> Nazir's most memorable feat was perhaps the 52 with five fours and three sixes that, that he scored against Yorkshire out of India's 66 all-out. What? what? There you go. Wait a second. No other batsman, no other the... batsman scored Wait. more than three in that inning. I am confused about the math in this. They scored the 52 with five fours and three sixes. That does not equal 52. That's 38. No, it included five fours and three sixes. There was still more scoring. Oh, on there was there. a 52. Yeah, other people scored. He scored 52 out of the whole 66. Oh. And of his 52, there were five fours and three sixes, however you accumulate those. Oh, that's memorable, definitely. Yeah. Okay. No that, batsman, does that beat a flush? Because here, no other batsman beat <laughs> scored more than three in that inning. That is still the lowest first-class total to include an individual 50. I, honest to God, think that cricket is fucking with the entire world. It's like it's like a practical joke they've been playing on the the entire world for 200 They've been years. making the rules from a game of Boggle. That's what's happening here. <laughs> Nazir played one other test against England at Madras in 1933-34. But there was nothing memorable, apparently, about that one. And after 1947, he settled in Pakistan and was an administrator until his death on February 18th. But he was like a, like a secretary. I don't know, just an administrator. I didn't, you know, there was really not a whole lot more about Nazir Ali. I'm so confused about the fifty-two five fours and three sixes thing. Well, I don't know what what constitutes a four and a six, but what it's saying is he scored fifty-two. The, the the whole team scored sixty-six in that inning. He scored fifty-two himself, and the rest of the team just sucked. Well, None I mean, of them got not got more than three. But I, I think it's just maybe the way they wrote it, perhaps because it seems like it should the the should be capitalized. The what the, the? Was the, the before the fifty two was perhaps the fifty two. That's the way it sounds to me. Like no, because like okay, take the middle thing out. It's just read it as Nazir's most memorable feat was perhaps the fifty two that he scored against Yorkshire out of India's sixty six all out. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And I think that that refers to the number of times he ran between the wickets after hitting the ball probably something like that yeah that's how you score a four you go back and forth four times or whatever in a single i'm just imagining him running around with the benny hill theme playing and in a single inning being able to hit it far enough that you could run back and forth between the wickets 52 times that's that's an accomplishment 
as far yeah, as I know. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah good exactly. how, how, wait, how far is it between? How far between wickets? Oh, six feet. No. <laughs> 22 yards. What of is course, that in America? Of units? course, it yards 66 feet. 22 yards or 20.12 meters. A pitcher's mound is 90 feet, you know, from 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 base from base to to uh, from home plate to to the mound. So it's about two thirds of the way from uh, from the pitcher's mound to the home plate. Well, that's uh, that's 66 feet. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That's that's okay. I I can respect that. Well, and when you're talking about yards, like I, I have a pretty good idea of what 20 yards looks like on a football field. Right. Yeah. So yeah, being able if that's the distance that he could run back and forth before they could get the ball. I mean, that's the equivalent of running around the bases easily, you know. Yeah, for couple, sure. One or two times, yeah, that's pretty impressive. So, All right, so we learned something about cricket tonight. Oh, I hate learning. <laughs> My head hurts. Well, at least you're not in Dubai. I know, right? I'm learning all kinds of stuff. He'd know a lot more about cricket if he was in Dubai. Truth. Mm-hmm. Take yep. us out, keyboard Joel. Nah, 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 nah. I'm very wet this week. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at my lips. <laughs> Wait. <Ew. laughs> Waiting. Waiting for you to say that. All right. So, The Gambler, 1974. Patrick had said he wanted us to do these movies. No, I did not. <laughs> That's what I heard. <laughs> yeah, you. What I heard you, too. You fuckers twisted that around. No, I said I hated that movie, and it, and there what there ha- it happened to be a remake. And if you wanted to hear me rant about a movie I hate, then we should do that. And next thing I know, they're like, "Well, we're putting that on the schedule." I See, he just said it again. Yeah. Please, let's do this show. Right. Let's <laughs> talk about it. Always been on black. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so The Gambler, 1974. It is directed by a one Carl Rees, Rees, R-E-I-S-Z, Rees-Z. Rees, I would would imagine. I would guess it would be Rees. Oh, wait, I I haven't done the uh, wonderful IMDb description. Yeah, it's horrible. It reads like a children's uh, story. Axel Fried is a literature professor. He has the gambling vice. When he has lost all of his money... He borrows from his girlfriend, then his mother, and finally some bad guys that chase him. Despite all of this, he cannot stop gambling. Written by Plotbot. <laughs> I think he wrote the uh, bus that couldn't slow down. I, that's exactly what it sounds like, doesn't it? <laughs> run, And it's Axel, not run. even actually accurate. No, no. Not, not He never really. borrows from Billy. It's she doesn't not... have anything. Yeah. No. Except a place to hide. Yeah. Right. And looks. And yeah, and long yeah. legs. Damn. And plump lips. Um. But yeah, directed by Carl Rice. And he is known for this and such other things as The French Lieutenant's Woman, Night Must ah. Fall, and Morgan. I say it like that because it has an exclamation point. <laughs> I thought you were just excited about it. Just Morgan. Uh, he does a lot of these these type of movies. <laughs> it's the best way to put it. Stuff like this. Uh, writing cro- credits, uh, James Toback. 
uh, screenwriter from the story, which this is, uh, he's also done Bugsy. And, oh, okay. And Tyson. So, you know, writes those screenplays. Cast James Kahn as Axel Freed. Uh, if you do not know who James Kahn is, you're listening to the wrong show. Go back and listen to the Rollerball show. Yeah, he was in that as Jonathan. Uh, Paul... Imagine any role from the 70s where you needed a really manly man and it wasn't Steve McQueen or Charles Bronson. Or Lee yeah. Marvin. Or Lee Marvin. Yeah. Or Charlton Heston. All right. There was a lot of manly men in the 70s. <laughs> Never mind. Scratch that. Also starring Paul Sorvino as Hips. You may know him. Yeah, may know him as uh, from Goodfellas, where he played Paul, or I remember him from The Rocketeer, where he plays Eddie Valentine, the ga- the gangster. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or you may or know I... him as Mirror's dead. That's what I was gonna say. Damn you. <laughs> then Lauren Hutton. Looking. We know her from Long Legs. Yes. Yeah, or... she's still modeling at seventy-five. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. She's a beautiful woman. Good, good on her. I mean, yeah, I mean, she's obviously aged, but she's still really good looking. You know, we've we've actually done another uh, Lauren Hutton movie. Yeah, what was that? Yeah, hmm. what was it? Give you a hint. It's not a good one. Oh uh, yeah, that narrow. Peter Pan. Once bitten. <gasps> oh yeah. yeah. Oh, that's why I didn't because I wasn't on that show. Oh, you were. That was like one of the two I ever I've missed. Uh, it was uh either I think it was a September. Might have been sub, when September kind of uh, moved into October. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, also starring Burt Young taking a break off from Batman. No, uh, Burt Ward. Oh, so yeah, Burt Ward Young is uh, Uncle Polly. Yeah, Polly and Curly from Chinatown. Also, and various other tough guy roles. Yeah, when you need a short guy to punch somebody in the gut, you go to. And Bert Joe Young. Pesci isn't born yet. That's you true. You call Burt Young. <laughs> or he's still working too. Hmm. Really? Well, good on him. Yeah, he's going to be in something that uh, premieres next year. I was curious because between this and the fact that uh, Sarah's been watching uh, Rocky Four, actually, a- as we record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's in like four movies next year. Oh, nice. Also, Vic Tabeck as one. Um, he's one of those character actors. You look at him, you're like, you know who exactly you're talking about, but you may remember him from uh, playing Mel in Alice. Oh, yeah. That's what I know him from. Hmm? Kiss my grits. He was bu- in uh, Bullet also. We have done no Steve McQueen movies. What's wrong with I that? I know. I mean, the problem is, is like, eventually they're going to remake them, but how do you remake Steve McQueen? I know that's the thing you don't. <laughs> I mean, I gotta assume they have. They've got to have tried it with something he's been in. Gone in sixty seconds. Was he in that? Uh, the original? I I didn't know that was a remake. Or no, I think on one level I did know it was a remake, but I never saw the original. Oh no, I think the remake or the original was somebody like actually like James Con maybe. <laughs> James Con uh, was kind of the poor man Steve McQueen. Yeah, he was. I'm looking this up because now I'm not sure. But uh, old Vic Tabeck uh, also did the voice of Carface and All Dogs Go to Heaven and a movie that we need to do because they did a remake of it, of uh, Papillon. 
Oh, Papillon. Yeah, I love that original movie. Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. And um, it just has the the guy who played uh, Freddie Mercury. Yeah, uh, Rami Malek. Yeah, and it also. And it actually looks really good. It's uh, the original is amazing. Never seen it. No. It's on the short list of Steve McQueen movies I've never seen. Well, it's uh, Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Escaping from prison. So also never heard of him. I don't know. Who is this guy? Uh, M. Emmett Walsh actually looking young. Right. I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> no. He looked like, looked like a crisp 40 years old. <laughs> 40 years old for the 70s, which means he looks like he's in his 60s. <laughs> yeah, Emmett I mean, he was, he was drawing a pension on his fifth birthday, I think. <laughs> like you? Aww. Hey. So, M. Emmett Walsh is the Las Vegas gambler. James Wood. James Woods as the bank officer. And a little cameo role. Yeah, I saw cool. him in the credits, and until I saw him again in the closing credits, I, it didn't, like, register who he was. Like, yeah. I didn't recognize him when he was on screen. It definitely didn't look like him, but I was like, I was like, I think that's James Woods. Well, I mean, he had the glasses and the tie, and you know, the whole. He didn't. He didn't look like James Woods as we know him. He was also, I think, unusually thin, like as opposed to the rest of his career. He, mm-hmm. right. he looked like he must have been twenty pounds lighter. Ooh, piece of candy. <laughs> we gotta figure out a way to do video drone. Ooh, piece do of we, candy. Do we really? Yeah, we do. I, I'm kind of with Pat on this one. Aw. All right. Also, yeah, I'm not a Cronenberg fan. Stuart Margolin as Cowboy standing at the other end of the table. He's a character actor that you're like, oh, that guy. Yeah, he uh, was on Rockford Files. He was in Kelly's Heroes and in Death Wish as Ames Jane Chill. Yep. That sounds like a made up name. Death you're Wish? A made up name. No, we watched it. <laughs> uh, he actually is in the new uh, X Files. As Dr. Thaddeus Q. They. That sounds like a made-up name. Well, he's in the episode The Lost Art of Forehead Sweat. What? That's what the episode says. X-Files, The Lost Art of Forehead Sweat. I don't think I ever... Uh, must have been from the last, the new season. Probably. Yeah, I still haven't gotten to the new season yet. Yep. Antonio Fargus as Pimp. Ah, Huggy I Bear. mean, that's a lot of Antonio Fargus' career. Like, yeah. I recognized him immediately from uh, Shaft. Mm-hmm. Starsky and Hutch. Foxy yeah. Brown. You know. Uh, he, he was, was a cameo. In, yeah, he was in uh, Don't Be a Menace mm-hmm. to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. He, he was in a lot of stuff. Oh. I think he was in I'm Going to Get You Sucker as yes, well. Yes, he was. I'm Going to Get You Sucker. Any mother. Which I'm. Oh, yeah, we got that coming up. Do we? Yep. Yep. Yeah, two like days. two weeks. Oh, no kidding. All so, right. Yeah, and we'll, then, we'll be revisiting this man. And then Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, uncredited as street basketball boy, but you may know him as Robinson G. Robinson from Welcome Back, Cotter. I thought he was Boom Boom Washington. Was it Boom Washington? Who was Robinson G. Washington? Yeah. Well, and I know him oh. more recently because he's become a favorite of Rob Zombie. He was in 31, and he's going to be in. Um... Uh, three from hell. Huh. I didn't recognize he was from Welcome Back Cutter. I thought he was. Yeah, he would say, Hey there, Mr. Cutter. 
No, that's yeah, that's Freddie Boom Boom Washington, but that wasn't the same. That wasn't the guy playing basketball. Yeah, it was. He was Boom Boom. Was it really? Yeah. He wasn't. The, he wasn't the kid playing basketball. He was one of the kids in the background. He was a kid uh, to, oh, okay, to the right okay, of okay, right of the guy cool. playing basketball. He was like okay, yeah. That yeah, explains it. That's yeah, he it. wasn't the main basketball player. We were talking that's about what I the thought scene. You were saying, yeah, I thought that's what. We well, it's we the saying. scene where he gambles on basketball randomly near the beginning of the film, where he just gets out of the car and leaves it there in the middle of the street. Well, I was double parking as New Yorkers do. Right. Well, you may know him from Welcome Back, Cotter, or the Wines Brothers TV series, or where did that thing go? Don't give me the finger. No, that's a short. There was a very Joel movie in here. Oh, he was on Chuck briefly. He was oh. the president of Zamibia in Chuck. Oh, oh, uh, Killer Drag Queens on Dope. Classic. You may I was re- curious because he looked familiar, and he's been a character actor in a lot of things I've seen. Starring Alexis Arquette. Rest in peace. Well, it's good to see the talent just keeps moving through that family. <laughs> um, all right, so some trivia. According to James Toback, before the screenplay was accepted at Paramount Pictures and it was making the rounds with the actors, Peter Boyle was first interested in playing the lead. I could see that. It would be a very different movie. But at that time, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. He would have fit the role. Yeah, he would. Uh, also, Robert De Niro lobbied hard for the role to the point where De Niro started to dress like the writer. Because that always makes people see your way. <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't Jane Toback. Um, Toback pressured director Carl Rice to meet with De Niro. After meeting him, Rice said that he would not and could not consider De Niro for the role, and if Toback kept insisting, he would not be allowed to collaborate in the film further. Wow. <laughs> That's I, I And I got to side with him on this one. It would not have been good with De Niro in it. No. Yeah. No, this yeah. character is too vulnerable for a De Niro character. Well, especially at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two years after Godfather. And vulnerable is exactly the word. You needed somebody that was, you know, a strong lead, but that could be weak. Right. Uh, this is apparently also a loose adapta- adaptation of Fyodor Dostoevsky's classic novella, The Gambler. I thought that was interesting that Dostoevsky... Him too. <laughs> wrote, the, ...wrote a novella that this is based on. And uh, they he quoted Dostoevsky in one of his lectures. In fact, I think the first one, the two plus two uh, is five, I think, mm-hmm. was Dostoevsky. Yeah, he talked about that. Oh, nice. Uh, James Kahn hated Carl Rise and said he will nev- never work for him again. I tried to locate why, but I couldn't find why. And I just thought that was interesting that he rubbed him the wrong way. <laughs> hey, so you never know. Uh, Jacqueline Brooks, who played James Caan's mother, is actually 10 years older than James Caan. Huh. <laughs> she was young when she had it. Yeah. And did you uh, rec- recognize her from uh, Naked Gun? No. No. Na- Naked Gun, two and a half. She was a commissioner. Hmm. So she remember she when um, Frank Drebin goes to the bathroom Whoa. and he, yeah. she's at the mic. That's the woman at the mic. Huh. I only know that because Katie has been on a Naked Gun uh, police squad kick. Good for her. That's good stuff, man. She's good in her role. Yeah. This is mom. She is. She's really good. Uh, the stock footage shot of the passenger jet flying against the sunset was also used in Future World. Which I thought was uh, an odd little, but I guess at the time, you know, 
reuse some footage, save some money. Well, and also they kept using the same two note overlay in the music score that sounded like the beginning of start of the original Star Trek series. Yeah, it's like bing <laughs> bong, and I kept I'm... waiting there. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty common for movies of this era. Like recently, I had the good, the bad, and the ugly on in the background, and Sarah's like, "Turn that off." If I hear wah, 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 one more time, I'm going to stab you. Yeah. Or, or you're trying. They're doing a sound effect that makes you sound like you've got tinnitus. Oh yeah, that was no. I think I do want to talk a little bit about the about the music in this because it seems like it had this transition from that weird funky '70s stuff to that um, to classical back and forth quite often. It seems like it always had that like surging classical music when um when axel was winning oh yeah i think that one thing about the filmmaking here is everything was very deliberate and i think that helped even though it was a little slow in parts where it didn't feel as 70s pacing for me because i I could tell that the shots were picked like every decision was made to contribute to a specific mood Mm -hmm. like whether you liked it or not this was not a movie that was made carelessly No, I mean, there were definitely portions of the movie where I was confused because, I mean, once again, just toss it in there. 70s, 70s pacing. But it did seem like they were trying to almost every scene was a mini movie. I thought I thought the pacing was better than average, though, for 70s. I never got to the point where I was like, okay, this is dragging on too long. For sure. And I think a part of it is because. I, I turned to Sarah at one point. It's like, it's weird because this guy is such a piece of shit. I almost don't want him to win, but still every time it looks like he's about to win or lose, there is tension where I actually was on the edge of my seat when like they're going to a basketball score or whether uh roulette was falling or especially at the end mm-hmm. with the big basketball game, which he was, he was a, well, I don't know if I should say this yet, but he was definitely a lot smarter than uh, our our counterpart, but still made a lot of bad decisions perpetually. Well, I think we're kind of at least into talking about this one. So, yeah, I yeah. mean, I think this, this movie is... starts where a lot of other films would have ended. Like he's like blowing through all of his money and he's in a huge amount of trouble. Which I'm wondering, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Since mm-hmm. I, I I know kind of. I'm, I'm letting you guys just talk about it for a little while so. before you get in. Okay, because I'm curious how close this one was to reality versus. I, I think know. this is a great reflection on the gambling natures. <laughs> I, I mean, it's you. You guys talk about it for a little bit, and then I'll I'll jump in. Well, and that's the thing is, I'm sure that there are things that were done wrong, but there are going to be a few things. For one thing, this is the 70s, not 30 years later. And there's still things that they got wrong for back then, I'm sure. You don't owe that. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm not going to like nitpick it. It's not going to, I mean, there are going to be some things, yeah, just, I I don't like just because they're incorrect, you know, for the, the world and the setting and whatever, but the majority of my complaints about this movie are not like nitpicks like that. It's interesting. It's, yeah. We'll get there. Cause see, you know, you can forgive a lot when there's 
errors as far as reality versus film logic. But if the story's yeah, good and the characterization's good, because my 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 favorite gambling movie of all time um, is Rounders. Like most poker players, you know, I'm not alone in that. You know, I'm not unique in that. You know, but um, and it, even it's got some errors in it. So it's like, I mean, you can forgive the errors if the story is good, like Joel was just saying. You know. And I'm not sure that characterizing this as, I mean, I can't say it's not a gambling movie, but it's not really about the gambling. It's about the self-destruction. It's about the addiction of gambling. Yeah. It's a gambling movie. It's in the title. Right. But I mean, it's, that's, even though gambling is a large part of the movie, it's more about existentialism. Like this guy's quest to destroy himself because he's, in this position in his life where he feels like he can't lose. He came from money. Uh, he's got a position in society. No matter what kind of trouble he gets in, someone can get him out of it. And he's addicted to putting himself in danger. Well, but he's living a life that's built up where he's almost never in real danger. I think Paul Servino kind of summed it up at the very beginning when he's like, he's like, I like you. He's like, I don't want to see you, you know, in this position. Cause I like you and that's just it. He, he was a likable guy, but he was not, didn't want to be, you know, he was more focused on his self-destructive behavior. And, uh, even I liked him up until the kind of moderately rapey scene where I was like, what the hell was that for? I don't know that I liked him when he, uh, borrowed a shit ton of money from his mother degrading himself to do so destroying that relationship seeing what it did to her and then not using it for its intended purpose that i think was the lowest point in this movie yeah that's basically just burning it yeah i'm not saying i want to hang out with him i'm just saying his portrayal of the character was he was interesting to watch he was likable in terms of he kept me interested in the storyline oh for sure I, I would draw the line between charismatic and likable yeah, like I didn't like him, but he was definitely charismatic, and I think that's one of the reasons why it took me a long time to be like, okay, just fuck this dude. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm like likable, but interest not likable, but interesting. You're interested to see what happens next and how this guy can destroy his life even further. And I think one of the things I did enjoy about looking at this is that when he's doing his class, he's he's teacher. And it's all, it gave me kind of a, uh, a thought of how many people do I know in my day that may have something like this going on just on the other side of their life? What's more is when he was teaching, every one of his lectures was a different way to justify his obsessions. I didn't even catch that. Yeah, like you look at all of the spins he has on what he's telling, they're all really about gambling and self-destruction. Huh. It's it's what the addict does. It's it's you know, uh, reflection or not reflection, um, uh, projection and so and denial. And he's romanticized the lifestyle of, like living real and putting yourself into danger and taking risks and nothing matters if you don't do this. He's got this whole thing where he thinks it's awesome what he's doing, even though he knows it's making him a piece of shit. So I, I think that he's a more complicated character than I'm used to f- from movies from the 70s. Definitely. I mean, this is this is not a... While I don't want to, I think this movie definitely warrants a second watching. 
just to get more annoyances. Like you had said about the him teaching the classes. I didn't notice that when I was initially the first time first time around. But I did notice, you know, on the the relationships he has and how he's always justifying his actions, whether it be to his girlfriend or to the guy who has a knife in his face or taking him to the home where he's beating the crap out of another guy for not paying up. But you have to save the little shell-made boat, which I thought was kind of <laughs> interesting. Did you did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. It's like when he's about to throw the whole uh, shelf full of knickknacks and yeah, China down. Hold this. Yeah, here, yeah. hold that. Take the boat. I don't want to destroy that boat. I like I like this boat. I don't it's want like, any bad. I'm gonna to this break boat. this dude's arm, but save his boat. I was waiting <laughs> for him to take it. The boat didn't do anything. Yeah. I like this boat. It's not the boat's fault. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I uh, the other thing is, if I'm ever in the situation where somebody comes to the house and I'm hiding from them in the closet, I would hope that when I'm found, my wife would do a little bit more than just whimper in the corner. I, though I don't well, know. For all she knew, you know, James Conn's character would beat the crap out of her if she moved. Oh, that's true. I forgot James Conn. See, that's the thing is, like, I saw James Conn almost like an observer in that. Yeah, but I mean, she didn't know who he was. I mean, if she if, if she steps forward, all she knows, she's gonna get whacked. That's true. I don't. I want to talk about the ending, but I don't know that we're there yet. Or are we there yet? I know I want to unleash Pat before we get to the ending. Yep. <laughs> well, okay, most of my rant is going to be saved for the second movie, but um, what part? Okay, I'm I'm a little. I guess I might be just a little too close to the subject material for this to be entertaining in any way. That's part of the problem, hmm. I, I think, because like listening to you guys talk about it, I can see how it might be interesting, but it's just because I not only have like lived this type of life, maybe not to his extremes, you know, to getting, you know, 44,000 in debt to one on from, from one stupid night of just betting like an idiot, you know, um, I've never gone to that extreme, but I have lost plenty of money, you know, that I didn't have. And I had to wait and pay them, you know, in increments and this and that, whatever. And I've had, and I, but I've seen people go in for, you know, multiple thousands of dollars. I've seen, you know, I live, I make my living off of degenerates. I mean, there's, that's just, let's not sugarcoat it, you know? Um, so I see it every single day, guys now, doing this type of stuff. Do you know the guys that take everything they have and throw it all onto one throw? Um, I've seen, uh, no, I mean, really no. And, and the, the main, <laughs> all right, well, let's just get into that then. I was going to get into that more in the second movie, but that's probably one of the biggest problems I have with this movie is because that is just so stupidly, dumbly, horribly unrealistic Hollywood bullshit. No gambler in the history of ever, ever <laughs> takes every dollar he has and bets one time on anything. It just I, doesn't that's happen. I was curious. I mean, I know they were trying to make a point that he's so far gone that that's just what he does. Yeah, and that's just so goddamn stupid. No one will ever do that. I, I I know people that are addicted to losing and expect to lose, but they're also addicted to gambling. They want to make the money last a little while. If you have $10,000 and you know that's your last $10,000 and you're not going to get another $10,000 unless you do extreme whatevers, you're not going to bet all $10,000 on one hand of blackjack because one hand of blackjack takes about 20 seconds and then the rush is gone. You're, I mean, you may bet $1,000 a hand, 
but you're not going to put your entire nut on one fucking hand. And that drives me insane that they just kept doing that over and over and over because no one, I mean, if you want to call the movie, the idiot, the degenerate, the guy who doesn't know how to gamble, anything like that, but don't call it the gambler. The bus and then that I, can't stop. Yeah. And, and then portray it like he's just some kind of ultra smart guy that, you know, knows all the plays and knows all the odds, but just won't do it. You know, it's like, no, that's just dumb. Nobody's going to do that. Make a movie about the guy who is addicted to losing, but no, but, but punishes himself by drawing it out because even when he, you know, even when he does win, like, like in this movie, they had the, they had the concept down, but the execution was flawed because you know, I see it over and over again. You know, they'll, they'll sit in the table and they'll, you know, they'll buy in for a hundred dollars and hit a lucky streak, and they'll be up to like fifteen hundred dollars. And this is a guy who, you know, asked last week if he could borrow forty dollars so he could get home, and now he's got fifteen hundred dollars sitting in front of him in the game, and he can easily just get up and leave anytime he wants. And he, I'll even go over to him and be like, "Hey, get up, man! You know, you owe me four hundred dollars, and you can still go home with a thousand extra dollars in your pocket." But he won't get up until he's completely busted, and then he leaves, and he's like, "Man, I don't have money for gas. Can I get twenty bucks?" I'm like, damn it, dude. Like, <laughs> so it happens. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it doesn't happen in one hand. No. And I don't, I guess the, I agree with you, but I don't know that it makes the movie more interesting to show all those other hands or even to force in a montage. I, I don't know that it does advances the narrative or makes the pacing better. Well, it's about, I think it's not so much advancing the narrative. It's the tension. I mean, you can't, I mean, if he's got $10,000 and he plays a whole bunch of $50 games just to extend that buzz that he's getting from losing, there's no tension there. You're just waiting for him to run out of money. Right. But if he dumps and, and it that, all and, in and one. Yeah. And that's exactly why I'm saying I can see why it's a little more interesting to you guys. It's just, you know, it, it's, it's like, you know, I don't know how to, how to, like, if you, if you watched it, you know, if Joel watched a movie about, you know, um, guys in an insurance office and he took one call and then went home for the day. You'd be like, that's not how it goes. <laughs> yeah. That would be a very interesting movie. Um, I, I, you know, I could see if they did that at one point, like there was one situation where he did that just to emphasize how desperate he was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But he did it like consecutively loss after loss after loss. Yeah. Like, okay. For instance, to, to talk about the second movie in, a little bit, you know, the scene where he gets the $10,000 and he goes and he bets the $10,000. Okay, you know what? I could possibly just, you know, he says, just give me the one chip. I'm going to bet it. I've seen people do that as far as like, just give me, you know, no, don't bother coloring up the green chips. Just give me, you know, four greens. I'm throwing them in and, you know, I've seen that. But then when he wins the second time and he gets up to 20, then they'll probably take the 10 off and be like, bet the 10 again. Right. You don't let it ride. Maybe you you double up after you bust once. Exactly. Exactly. And you don't, you don't, when you get to 160,000, then go to roulette and put it all on. No, maybe then you'll put $10,000 on the black at that point. You know, it's like, I just, you know, that kind of, but anyway, that's a little bit of the, that's a little bit of the problem I have with the movie. Maybe a lot of it. I don't know, really know the ratios. I'm not going to think about it right now, but my point, <laughs> the biggest problem I have with this movie. And again, you know, this is because I'm immersed in this lifestyle. I think watching a guy throw away all the advantages that he has and shit on everybody and piss on everybody and throw away money and, and people still keep coming up to him and giving him money, and he still keeps pissing it away and throwing it away. Maybe it's just a little too close to home, or maybe it's just a little too much of what I see all the time. But it's like that's not interesting to me. I don't want you know. I don't need to watch a guy wreck his life because I see it every goddamn day. 
I get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, maybe that is why it, it, it you know, it, it bothers me so much this movie. But I mean, I'll get into the specifics of it when we get to the second movie. But like this first one does a little bit of a better job of getting into the psychology of it and getting into like the whole, you know. Uh, but I just, I still, there was never a point where I liked this character in, in any way, no matter how much charisma he had, because just because I know too many of this guy. And I know what pieces of shit they are. And I'm like, I, I don't care how much charisma you have. I've been burned. And I know too many people who have been burned too many times by the piece of shit with the charisma. And I can't have, and, and just me personally, I just, I can't have any kind of sympathy for anything that he's going through. I'm just like, fuck this guy and fuck his life. He had everything and he's just an idiot, you know? I don't think you're meant to sympathize with him though. Yeah. I, I don't think that's the point of the movie. And I think we're getting towards talking about the ending. I was watching his face during the basketball game where every other character who isn't out on the court has the same kind of attitude that I felt watching the tension, the like, this is exciting. What's going to happen? Oh my God, it's all going to go whatever. But as he got closer and closer to safety where it started to turn around and it looked like they were going to shave down to not cover the spread his face fell. He mm-hmm. wanted to bust out there and he was upset when it didn't happen. He definitely did look like he was kind of pissed off about the whole situation. And that, I, that was when they started playing that tinnitus sound. There's no other way for with that thing in the background where I, and it happens again, multiple times when he's, got that situation where he's kind of winning, losing that same sound would come around again, I guess to signify that he's not happy. Or like there's an itch in the back of his head that he can't quite scratch. Maybe. So I mean, he says, he says at one point, you know, he's never going to be able to start over until he loses everything. And just when things go well for him, that means he's not losing everything. And he, and he he doesn't want the life he has. He doesn't want to commit suicide, but he doesn't want the life he has. And he can't start over until he's burned every single bridge and lost every single thing Sorry. he has. And he doesn't have any real permanent long-lasting consequences for any of his actions until the final shot. Mm-hmm. And he... I say what? He also denies at the very moment he's talking to his grandfather who at the very end of it says are you sure you don't want my help and he walks away from him that's that kind of going back to that i he likes that rush of the lose he likes that rush of being in jeopardy yeah definitely because he could have just said to his grandfather yes i need your help and his grandfather would be like here fine here's forty four thousand dollars which i did the math um Forty-four thousand dollars in nineteen seventy, whatever to twenty nineteen dollars, is like one point one million. Oh, I thought it was one hundred eighty-five thousand. Because we did the math too. Oh, you did? Yeah, I think your math is off, Mike. Ah, shit. Yeah, because as soon as as soon as he owed that forty-four thousand, that was the first thing we googled, and it's still it's a lot of freaking money. Maybe I just put my comment in the wrong place. That could be. Still yeah. not as much as in the remake, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. But. Um, One hundred and fifty-two thousand five hundred and fifty-two dollars. Okay. Yeah, I probably just had the wrong, put the looked at it wrong. 
Um, but yeah, it. I mean, he had the chance to get that, get saved by his grandfather, who read him the riot act, and at the very end of it is like, look, you know, your blood. Do you still want to? I, I'm offering help one last time before you walk out the door. And he willingly just stepped out and went into it on his own. I think it's not even the the thrill of the loss that he likes. It's a thrill of being in a situation where his life is in jeopardy. And just back against the wall, how am I going to perform? Right, I right. Gonna... I mean, he, he's kind of getting off on the fact that there's, you know, this car pulls up in the middle of the street. They grab his ass, throw him in the back and drive drive off. I mean, he's got this image of what he's what the life that he wants because he's, you know, he has everything. So he's on the edge of that causing this to happen to himself. So he gets some sort of stimulation, gets some sort of gets off on it. And it's kind of worse than that because he's arguing with his student, the basketball player, about his romantic view of the world versus his friend's rational, his student's rational view of the world. In the end, what saves him is the rational, pragmatic decision to take the bribe, not even lose the game and walk away. Basically, he loses every argument he had with that kid in the moment the kid saves him. And I kind of think that that whole thing, knowing that he he lost in that moment and simultaneously dragged the kid partially down to his level, is why he wanders into a neighborhood looking to get hurt. Which now that makes more sense, because I didn't totally pick up on all that when I saw it. So I was like, why is he going into the why is he doing and then what what is going on, you know? Um, so that, that definitely makes more sense. Although the, the very last shot is like, did, did somebody turn off the camera? Did, did the director have a heart attack? What happened? They, they ran out of film. Uh, he was finally happy. And that's the thing is there's an echo because Billy tells the story of the first gambler she was with and how he ends up with his face all cut up. Mm. And then it happens to him in the last shot. And he finally has that. Um, token or that uh, uh badge yeah it's like this is some shit that i can't get out of this happened i'm gonna have this scar on my face for the rest of my life i'm finally the person i've been trying to be this whole time well you know chicks dig scars especially from pimps well and that's the thing is like the pimp w- turned out to be all talk well he yeah, what's failed at that prostitute that cut him actually yep yeah. Yeah, the girl picked up the knife and slashed him. Wow, yeah, I totally missed that. I, and not the slashing, but the t- the tie into the earlier comment that she made. Huh. Pat, you got any reflection on uh, going to pimps and horse type of thing? Where'd he go? We lost him. Oh my god. They got him. I would <laughs> Hips I would got him. Try. I didn't realize I was muted. He's been slashed. No, I don't really. Okay. I mean, no, I, I, I know plenty of them mm. of, of both sides, but no, I, they, they don't. They, everybody plays poker. I know every. You know, <laughs> we we got everything from youth pastors to to pimps and and hoes to come in and play, and strippers and account executives and oil guys and construction guys and everything. So everybody, that's the that's one of the interesting things about being in the gambling lifestyle is 
across all swaths of life, there's always someone that gambles. Hmm. So I have I meet all kinds of professions. So what did you think about the ending? Eh, I mean, it just kind of ended. I mean, it was it, it felt like a naked in New York or something. Just you know, I was like, oh, you know, I was wondering what's going to happen next. You know, and then suddenly just the credits start rolling. I'm like, oh, okay, we're done. <laughs> naked in New York had an ending. Everything yeah, he just drives right. off, and is everything's that... going to be all right. That's what he says. That's the end. Oh, shut up. It is. You shut up. You shut up. Ass clown. Your face is an ass clown. I'm going to slash your face with a hooker. <laughs> what? And I kind of think if it had been a more pat, ends tie, loose ends tied up sort of ending, I would have disliked it more. And we're going to talk about the difference between the ending when we get to the new. Mm-hmm. Because there was a pretty significant change there. Yeah, the new. Yeah, the new. Oh, the new. <laughs> Can't wait. The one that let's, let's remake a movie that, you know, has some, you know, psychological aspects and some, you know, some things to say. And let's just take all the heart and soul out of it and make it a movie about an asshole. Yeah, let's. Ooh, yeah. Are, are we done with this? I think, I'm we, actually, I think Pat wants to jump over there. I, I think we all want to go to the next one. Yeah. I think we're, we're, that's going to be a different conversation than this one. Yeah. All right. So when we come back, we are going to talk about The Gambler 2014. True. Always bet on black. True. Because you asked for it, and we like setting Pat off on a rant. Because Pat asked for it. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, Pat said, I love gambling, and I love movies about gambling. So let's watch The Gambler 2014. It's got to be good. Mm -hmm. You literally said, let's do this show. That is not at all what I said, you liars. I don't know, Pat. This seems like a long shot. (laughs) I'll give you odds. Uh. Don't don't use words that you don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna do the river. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so happy there's someone that knows less than me. <laughs> I said it right, right? No, no. I mean, you used a word that is correct. Yes. No. All right. So, Gambler 2014. This is a. A literature professor and gambler Jim Bennett's debt causes him to borrow money from his mother and a loan shark, loan sharks. Further complicating his situation, his relationship with one of his, his is his relationship with one of his students. Will Bennett risk his life for a second chance? Who who? Your IMDb, you're owned by Amazon. Why are why are these descriptions so terrible? Because people that work for Amazon don't write them. Yep. They're all submitted. True. All right. So this is directed by Rupert Wyatt, who has directed such things as The Escapist and Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Which is a good movie. It is. Also, he is the executive producer on The Exorcist, a TV show that we watched. And enjoyed. uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Long ago. 
Yeah, that's been a two Octobers ago now. God, that's a long Is that time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, he also directed the movie Ticks from 1999. About giant blood-sucking ticks. If you hadn't figured that out. So I suppose you make your way in somehow. Uh, writing credits by William Monahan. Did the screenplay and uh, James Toback for the 1974 screenplay. James Monahan uh, wrote some stuff that you may have known, like London Boulevard, Kingdom of Heaven, and The Departed. Kingdom of what? Kingdom of Heaven. You said Head of Heaven. Did I? Yeah. No, he right. also was a writer on <laughs> Body of Lies. Oh yeah. What is that? It was uh, DiCaprio and Russell Crowe. Mm. Oh, that, I never saw that one. I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I, I, I was going through. Okay, the writer, the director, the cast. Where did this all go wrong? <laughs> but, like, I've liked stuff from like all of these people. It's... A little bit of a spoiler. I did not enjoy this movie. <laughs> all right. Well, let's run a little down. Little bit the of a spoiler. List. This movie is not meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be injected. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going by what they made. I mean, it, obviously, that was could not have been one of their objectives. Well, I mean, we've seen movies like that before, where the the sum is lower than the the product of its parts. I mean, it's... sure, because there are moments here that are fine. Like, I, I know we're about to get into the cast, but John Goodman turned out a hell of a performance in this. Yes, he did. Uh, John Goodman, Jessica Lange as the mom. Amazing. I, love I always like Michael Kenneth Williams ever since The Wire. And of course, Brie Larson, who I thought could do no wrong. Then <laughs> we're here. Yeah, let's go through the cast. All right, cool. So starting off with Mark Wahlberg as Jim Bennett, George Kennedy as the grandfather Ed, Jessica Lang as uh, Roberta Bennett, Mark uh, Jim's mom, Steve Park, uh, who is in here as Stephen Park as number two. Uh, he doesn't really have a name, but you may remember him from Fargo. 1996, yep. and Do the Right Thing. A couple of movies that he's been in. Oh, you're a real nice lady. You're such <laughs> a nice lady. <laughs> All right. And then, dude. Uh, Gunderson. Brie Larson is Amy Phillips. Michael Kenneth Wilson is Neville Baraka wins. Um, <laughs> Andre Brower. Yes. <laughs> Bone. I love Andre Brower. I am a huge Brooklyn Nine-Nine fan, and mm -hmm. I wasn't even paying attention, and I heard his voice and was like... Squee. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you guys. Oh, what do you mean, you guys? Tell me, you are not telling me you don't like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I watched the I think most of the first season. I enjoyed it, but never could keep up with it after that. <gasps> what? <gasps> It's really good. Like, I haven't made as much time for it as I wish I had, but, like, it's another one of those comedies that is in the wheelhouse of Parks and Rec and The Office that we all tend to like. Mm -hmm. And I really would love us to do a uh, Police Squad versus Brooklyn Nine-Nine show. I agree. I think that would be fun. Uh, John Goodman, amazing performance as Frank, the Lone Shark. Every time he was on the screen, I was like, maybe there's something about this movie worth salvaging. Yes, and it's only the scenes with John Goodman in it. Pretty much. Mm. He has such a way. Well, we'll, we'll, 
Okay, we'll no, I'm, gonna to I'm gonna okay. Richard Schiff as the jeweler. Weird scene. Yeah, kind of. It didn't really fit with anything. Uh he yeah. was. I don't know what it was trying to show. I don't know what it was trying to. It wasn't. You know, three thousand dollars wasn't going to help his cause at that point much. I mean, even the pawn scene in Lucky You served more purpose to the plot than that pawn scene did in this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Leland Orzer as Larry Jones. Which, you know, I mean, you know him from, he's a character actor. You yeah, know, I, I recognized him from Alien 3. Um, but I threw it in there because of a trivia thing that's coming up. Okay. All right. So, trivia. Each day, Jim's shirt color gets lighter, starting with a black shirt and ending with a white shirt. Did not notice that. I'm not sure what the exact idea is because I guess it had a happier ending. Maybe. Well, you will definitely get there, but I do think that they were trying to like, he is purging himself to the point where he is, I guess, pure at the end. (laughs) Pure-ish. Purell. Mark Wahlberg dropped 61 pounds for this role, going from 198 to 137 pounds by doing a diet consisting of mostly liquid food and vegetables and a workout strictly of cardio. Wahlberg claimed that he deliberately set 137 pounds as his goal because the thinnest he had ever been for a role previously was Boogie Nights, in which he played a teenager and weighed 138 pounds. Which... Makes as much sense as anything else. Because you want to be smaller than a teenager? Maybe. I don't even know. Uh, This is the final film of acting legend George Kennedy. R.I.P. Yes. And George Kennedy, I will always remember him (laughs) in Naked Gun. Yep. Mowing down that cake at the ball field. Every time you turn around, he's got something else in his hand. Uh... Oh. Kind of like Raul Julia's ending. Uh, oh, John and Goodman's ending. John Goodman's not dead. He is not John Goodman. Uh, John Candy, sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say. Wrong John. John Dubai. John. Yeah, what was John Candy's uh, road? The, the... Beast. What? Yeah, Wagon that's what Beast. the title of it was. Yeah, I was... yeah with uh, Matthew Perry. Perry, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, Mark Wahlberg was determined to nail the role of a literature professor, so much so that he sat in on many college courses around different colleges in California and analyzed many professors and their mannerisms so that he can achieve the most believable performance. And apparently watched um, <laughs> Dead Poet Society. Yeah. Yeah. And what I've gleaned from this is that all of the literature professors in California are assholes. I think if I had taken that class and gotten and paid as much money as you were paying to go to one of that class, and that was what you got every time, I'd be like, "Well, that's why the lecture hall started off full and was only like a dozen students by the end." Yeah, yeah. I would have been. I would have been like after after day one. I'm like, I'm out. This is not worth whatever the uh, the cost is. <laughs> when you're only reaching one student, right? This year, I'm going to teach you. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> else, get the fuck out. Yeah. You're all a bunch of hacks. Except for her, because she's wearing a green jacket. And Um, I want to bone her. (laughs) With the green jacket. Yes, jacket. Wait, what? (laughs) Take off your pants and jacket. 
Now leave. <laughs> All right. Leland Orser had a role that was cut from the final film, a scene which can be glimpsed in the film's trailer. <laughs> Poor Leland Orser. Who is Leland Orser? Who is Larry Jones, who we didn't get to see. So I'm curious why we're talking about him at all. Because he's because he's got kind of a name that sounds like something you'd find on your foot and go get it checked out for. <laughs> Doctor, I need some cream for my Leland Orser. <laughs> see, it just rolls off. It makes sense. Rolls off the tongue. Uh, this version of The Gambler is the same length as the first adaptation. Seems so much longer. Bull crap. Let me take a look. One hour, 51 minutes. And one hour, 51 minutes. Huh? Yeah. That'd be a weird, weird thing to lie about. I I know something that you can verify so much, but, uh, all right, let's get into this. <laughs> you just rubbed your hands together. Yes, I did. Cause I can't wait. I mean, this is another one of those movies where you could almost take any 10 minute clip and think it was a good movie. Yes. I don't think that any individual actor put out a poor performance. Nope. Um, it's just like the overall script, how it was structured, what it was trying to say and how it chose to say it. They hit some of the beats from the first movie and completely lost the point along the way. It's almost as if everybody was doing their scene in a different room. Like they all, I mean, Jessica Lang. I think did an amazing performance as the mom. I think you know, I, I don't I didn't I didn't really care for her performance much. I mean it was good. I just didn't think it was. I thought the mother in the first movie was better. Uh, I'm uh, with Pat on this, but they're very different characters. Yeah, they really yeah, are. That is, that is very true. Because the mean, mother she, in the first one actually loved him. This one kind of was like she's had enough she, of his shit. Yeah. Well, yeah, she, and, she was much. She was much more cold and calculated and businesslike in this movie. Well, and I, she was sort of a mashup of the grandfather and the mother from the first film. Yes, mm-hmm. that's one of the notes I had actually. <laughs> They're like, we'll save time. We'll just squish them together. Yeah. But any anything Jessica Lange plays, though, I'm I'm always glued to the screen. I, I wish they would have cast Lauren Hutton in that role. Would have been, been interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that would have been fine. I, I, Brie Larson, like I've liked her in everything, and this is no exception. That whole yeah, I, I didn't think she didn't. You know, she would. I just didn't. I didn't think the role was anything special. That's true. She was sort of wasted. Yeah, it, did, it didn't require anybody of any of any note. Could have been, you know, could have been Heidi Montag for all you know. You know, it mattered. But this was kind of like she was a name, but it was before she blew up. Yeah. I didn't know who she was when I first saw this. Because I saw this movie in the theater. Was oh. it 2014? I'm trying to think of what else she'd been in at this point. Um, she was on a show that. I mean, it it really about. wasn't wasn't until watching it this time I was like, oh crap, that's Captain Marvel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, United States of Terrorists, what you're thinking of, that's maybe it. Joel? Yep, that's it. Yeah, I'm looking back and like everything else is just little uh, character bits, one-offs on shows. And now she's a name. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, for a while now. And just getting bigger. Oh, wow. Yeah, this was like the year before her career took off with Room. Huh. 
So Michael Kenneth Williams, Neville Baraka. Yeah, the uh, uh, King of Spades. Yes. Yeah. Pretty badass performance from him. He's always, like every time I see him, he's got this charismatic with a dash of philosophy, but will fucking kill you kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Very low, I don't say, not even low-key threatening, because he wasn't low-key about it, oh. but it was like, Talking to a jackal. Yeah, he he might be the best character in uh, on the wire. I gotta watch that. Yeah, if you get access to HBO, it's like after you get through uh, Westworld and maybe some Game of Thrones if it strikes your interest. The Wire should be like at the top of the stuff you watch if you get access to HBO. Nice. He he play, he, he plays neutral evil types very well. Mm-hmm. That and that really is what he was. I mean, he wasn't, he was all there for the business. It's not like he liked or disliked anybody. He was just there to do the thing that he did. So, like, it starts out basically the same. Uh, He's blowing all his money. He gets in big debt to some nasty people and keeps uh, borrowing and then losing instead of paying people back and getting himself in deeper and deeper. Well, like, no. like the bar, money he got from his mom. I mean, he could have paid the things off and then started over and, you know, dug himself back in a hole if he wanted. But instead, he goes with her and blows everything in one night. And I just was like, what the hell, dude? It was frustrating. More frustrating to me is when we get into the third act. Because... Um, in the original, he doesn't get out of his problems by betting and winning. In this, all of the gambler's problems are solved by more gambling. Yeah, that's kind of what I mean by like the, you just take the, the heart, soul, and message out of the first movie, put in, you know, put in a, a big, big name celebrities in a bunch of different roles and good actors and everything, and just create a movie that's all about a crazy unlikable character doing thing and, and 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 everybody around him doing things that normal people in real life wouldn't do to support his gambling habit which and he even had more clout than the first character because he was also uh i mean brie larson's character talks about how he was a novelist that his first book was like this you know heralded um first novel but he only made Seventeen thousand dollars on it, so right. But yet he was still lauded as this, you know, next big thing. Well, nobody makes money on their first book, and he just was kind of pissing it all away. Well, and he didn't believe in himself, and that's the thing is he wanted to live this authentic life, which is fine for a motivation, but you can't have him then gamble his way out of his problems, win, and walk away and talk about it and like frame it like it's virtue. Yeah. This is, this is a happy ending. It's like, no, this guy's a fuck up that learned nothing. And because he went to his girlfriend's apartment at the end, we're supposed to believe that everything came out. All right. And we feel good about this. Yeah. And he learned his lesson. He's never going to gamble again. And things are going to work out just a okay. Cause that's what happens with degenerates. That's real life. 
Any guy who blows what? Uh, what did he borrow from or get from his mom? Two, two forty. Two hundred, two hundred and sixty thousand. Sixty. Yeah, two hundred sixty thousand in one night. Granted, he was a little slower this time, but he but. claimed to have been up two point five million at one point when he was talking to John Goodman. Yeah. I mean, holy shit. See, and I thought what was originally going to happen was I thought what he was doing was he was playing, he was going to take the money from the different sources, um, put the odds or work with the basketball player guy to um, uh, win the game or lose it, whatever, and put all the money on the opposite side of it so that all the people lost their money and he won all the shit ton of money and then take off and start a new life. And I was like, that would have been almost a more interesting outcome. Yeah. Except he tries to pull that and he gets shot in the head. <laughs> right. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. If this movie wants to be real. Yeah. Right. But uh, um, I mean, go ahead. Okay. So before I get into anything about this particular movie, I'm going to tell you guys it's story time. Oh, <laughs> here we go. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Let me sit and get comfortable here. I'm going to tell you guys, uh, this is a true story. I'm almost watching a man live the gambler in front of me. There's a guy that I, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to mention his name. You know, understand why after a while, um, we'll call him Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Um, and he's a guy I've known for a while and we've, you know, I've known him solely through gambling and we've kind of become friends over the years. We didn't used to be, but we've kind of become that. And he's a guy that comes, his family comes from money. Um, I don't really know exactly what they did. I just know that like, you know, his entire life, you know, he, his whole family has had money and they've always, not like, you know, Rockefeller type money, but they've always been comfortable multimillionaires, you know, and he's always had a comfortable life and everything. But apparently uh, his father was pretty much the end of the line. He's the one that has kind of run through the family fortune um, and there's not much left and everything. And they've pretty much you know run out of capital and all this kind of stuff. And he, so he's basically, the last of the line to have, to have lived the good life and everything. So what I'm watching is that the real life guy, cause what, what, what has happened with him? These are some, some stories I'm going to tell you about him. Cause he's a guy, when I tell you about it, some, you know, some gamblers are addicted to gambling. He is my, the poster child for that. Hmm. He continues to gamble and continues to up the stakes and continues to do everything until he finally just doesn't win. It doesn't matter how much he ever wins. He won't stop until he's, he's broke. Um, he used to consistently go to the casinos in Louisiana and run up hundred thousand dollar markers with the casino Jeez. and wow. his family would, would just, you know, get wind of it. You know, they'd, they'd contact the family, whatever, then they'd pay it off. And then he'd go back and, you know, a few months later and run up another hundred thousand dollars in blackjack or whatever. And they'd pay that off, you know, I mean, betting, you know, four hands at a time, $5,000 each, whatever, you know, that kind of crap, you know? Not going and putting an entire $100,000 on one hand. I'm just going right. to go ahead and mention. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, definitely losing, you know, and, and of course, getting, you know, free hotels or free whatever and all that kind of crap and feeling like, you know, he's living the high life because they're giving him everything. He's like, yeah, but you're losing $100,000 a trip, dude, you know, right. or whatever. Um, and then suddenly they, they went to call in one of the $100,000 markers and the family's like, uh, yeah, we don't have any more money. We're out of money and we're not paying this. Hmm. And, you know, that's when the shit hit the fan. Um, long story short, they crossed state lines with some cops, arrested him here in Houston, take, took him back to Louisiana. He spent three day, three weeks in solitary confinement. 
And he's been for 10 years now in the middle of a huge lawsuit, civil and criminal, where they've been battling back and forth. He wasn't even on the dockets in the courts in Louisiana when they locked him up. Like he just locked up, no trial, no nothing, no name. They didn't sign him. In the, just saying, well, your family's going to pay that hundred thousand dollars because they want to. They want to get you out, and they're all like, "Well, we don't have that hundred thousand dollars." Wow. So he sat in there for three weeks before they finally just released him, saying, "All right, well, I guess they're not going to pay." And so he's been suing them. They've been suing him back and forth, and yada yada. They finally just recently released the um, uh, completely dropped all the civil case against him or the, the criminal case against him, admitting that they did not have any case against him at all. So now the civil is, you know, everything has fallen into place for that. So we're about to get to watch the guy go nuts because he's literally, huh. if this settlement comes through, he's literally going to get anywhere from 10 to $50 million. Jeez. Yeah. Cause they locked him up in solitary confinement for three weeks with no due process over, over, a gambling debt that you can't collect over state lines. Holy crap. Wow. Well, yeah. he's going to be able to pay off something soon. Cause... Exactly. So I'm going to get to watch the whole, like, you know, hey, let's bet, you know, because he's, you know, talk about we're going to Vegas. We're going to, you know, he's going to bet $10,000 a hand until he's broke. He's going to put $50 million on black. <laughs> <and I'm> gonna... <laughs> <him> one chip. <laughs> and then he's going to take the river. One titanium chip. Jeez. Did you say he's going to take the river, Joel? <laughs> Is that it? No. Yeah, sure. Fine. Go with that. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I mean, it's a real thing that I watched on a daily basis, smaller versions of this, but I'm about to watch the bigger version of it. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, this is a real thing that's going to happen. I mean, he's a, he's a guy, like I said, he's become a friend. We see, we work with each other weekly, daily, and we hang out and stuff. He, He's about to get paid. I told him all he has to get me is a brand new car, and he said, okay. <laughs> wow. If you have $50 million, I mean, what's that? Exactly. Like, he's true. like, what kind? I was like, I really don't care, but it would be nice if it was a Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll take one of those little shoe cars. <laughs> yeah, right? Buy me a fucking Scion. I don't care. I'll trade it in. Uh, a shoe car? You know, the little cars that that only fit, like, a person, and they're tiny. Little smart car type thing? Yeah, the little, Oh, like, okay, okay. I was like, shoe car? What the hell is that? Well, they're smaller than a shoe, than a smart car. Yeah, I know what he's yeah, talking about. Yeah, they're tiny. They look like they, you know, they, uh, like that scene in, in um, uh, Top Secret, where that's a Pinto, and it, you know, it's bing, and it blows up. You know, it looks like that. Like, it yeah. Would, oh, blow yeah. Up if you looked at it wrong. Uh, that's terrible. I... Uh, and that just pisses me off because, you know, if I had $100,000, what I could do with that? If I had $100. I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. I think 20 bucks, 10 bucks. But no, I mean, yeah, he, 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 tells, he tells stories about like when he used to drive a, a Ferrari and all this kind of shit, you know? Like, <sighs> damn. Mark Wahlberg. Damn you. <laughs> We're not using his real name. Um, well, you know, the, the one thing from this movie that, um, was a high point, the, the thing that made me go, okay, this was worth my time just for this one bit was when John Good- Goodman gave his speech, the FU speech. Oh, yeah. that was, yeah, I agree with you on that. I, in my opinion, John Goodman was, was the only real thing worth watching in this. I mean, as good as, uh, King of Spades was, 
I mean that that it you know John Goodman stole the the whole movie. That whole yeah. speech where he goes from being like the your uncle giving you advice to completely a hundred percent menacing in just like a a moment of time. Yeah, exactly. It was that was a that was a great introductory scene. He's basically like, I'm going to kill you. Do, do yeah. you not understand this? <laughs> I mean, and he, and he just, you know, he call he plays the role of the viewer and calls him out for all his bullshit. He's like, you have all the advantages in life and you're just trying to fuck it all up. What is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And he straight up says what you kind of said about the whole thing. It's like, nobody does that. Don't do that. You get enough to be safe and then fuck up the rest of your life. You're free money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need that fuck you money. He said that was... Yeah, that whole speech was just, it was the reason I'm not angry that I even watched this at all. Yeah. I'm glad you're all on the same page, because that, that was that was a just a, an amazing bit of cinema right there. No, and just the whole, I mean, the introductory scene where he's shaving his head, you know, waiting for them to come in. I mean, that was another, every, it seemed like every single time you saw him, he had this flip between, look, I don't want you to, I don't want you to ruin your life. I don't want you to screw yourself over. Flip the channel, but I will kill you if you do not do this. Yeah, you know, I mean, John Goodman is a, a, just an amazing actor. I mean, if you've seen yeah. him, <laughs> when he's all, he's like, you know, don't treat me like I'm stupid. He's like, no, we're going to act like we're both very fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. Or when he, um, uh, I don't think Josh has seen it, but um, God, what's a ten Field Lane. Yes, Cloverfield Lane. Oh, 10 Lane. Cloverfield Lane, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, I saw that uh, about two years ago now. Yeah. He was great in that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, real good. So, I mean, it's... I mean, a- I don't... I can't really... If I had if I had to think beyond Blues Brothers 2000, I couldn't think of a role that John Goodman was not good in. Well, and I think of the one that, that made me a fan outside of Roseanne was um, Barton Fink. Still need to see that. I mean, he plays a serial killer. Uh, he's great and of course uh oh brother where art thou mm-hmm. oh, yeah. villainous role and in and, and a dog shit movie he was you know he was great as babe ruth mm-hmm. but this isn't the john goodman show no maybe this we should do a goodman, john got the gone goodman show <laughs> yes that, john guy, goodman. that guy too <laughs> john goodman. he's from dubai i think <laughs> <laughs> redemption oh Okay, so yeah, um, let's just skip forward to the ending. I don't think we need to beat the drum on the rest of this movie. You guys good with that? Yes. Complete and utter bullshit. There's just, I mean, there's just no way that any game runner is going to let you walk into the room and use somebody else's money to gamble with and pay you back with his own money. It's just not going to happen. Like you owe me two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and you're gonna walk in here with his two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and instead of handing it to me, you're gonna come to my table and gamble, and then say I won. Keep the money. We're even. No, fuck you. Give me two hundred fifty thousand dollars. You're not I going to pay me with money that you win. I didn't get the impression that the game he was in in the last room was run by either of those guys. Yeah, yeah it was it, run. By it the was guy. a third guy. It was run by that African American dude. No, 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 it was run by the guy that was eating the noodles, but he yeah. was affiliated with the other dude. I don't think oh, he was. No. I think he was Filipino, or and the other guy was Korean. Yeah, oh, because that that's why he. That's a, why they went to that that place because he knew they could. Neither of them could call him out 
for owing him the money on there because it was almost like neutral ground. Yeah, I definitely well, did not get the impression he worked shit, for the Koreans. That changes everything. Yeah, it's still shit because uh, those yeah, it's guys. Still shit, are... but, uh, but yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to step over you, but it's still it's still shit because I thought I thought he was getting the marker or get, get um was paying the marker of the guy. I got you. I thought they were they were he was his boss. No. Now it's it's worth saying that those guys are going to communicate. In fact, it's been established in the movie that they communicate, and there would have been a freeze on his ass. Yeah, I mean, maybe the, God, I'm trying to because I I gotta admit I rushed through the watching of it because I ran out of time. So this is the last watching, I'm just trying to remember what I saw when I watched it in the theater. That might be what it was that I was pissed off about. It was like there's no way that he would have taken the bet, is what it was for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, I think that's what it was because I was like he wouldn't have put himself in the situation of you know of, of getting in the middle of all this because he would have known what was going on. That's that's exactly what it was. So sure. okay. Well, now, because those other guys are in the same business he is, so if he takes the money, he knows he's pissing the two of them off. Yeah, because it, it, it's like you know, game runners in my in my world. Like you know, if some guy owes you a thousand dollars and he owes another guy a thousand dollars, you know, and they both run poker games in the same room, you can't come to the third guy's you know game and get another thousand dollars. You know, they're gonna be like, no, you owe him already. You know. And what kind of BS redemption type ending is that supposed to be? You know, here's a guy who's been losing the entire time, and all of a sudden he's going to win, and now everything's happy. Yeah, it's not. And, and he and he's the good guy. Yeah, and, no. And he's going to run. How far? Yeah, and and it, and his mom is still out two hundred sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, so that that whole relationship is gone. So, but he got his, he, you know, he got to go back and doink his uh his student. Yeah, his hot little student. Yeah, I mean, but seriously, but he. He's still not any further ahead than he was. I mean, he may, he may have his debt paid off, but now he's done, he probably doesn't have a job anymore. Yeah, he's at zero. He's not. I hadn't been there long enough to have tenure, and with his class ratio of drops, I'm sure they're not going to keep. Yeah, him right. And and with you know, I mean, if they had ever bothered to mention it like they did in the first one, it would make a little more sense that he wanted to get back down to zero to restart his life. But he never. They never established that because. They took all the heart and soul and meaning and psychology out of this movie and just, like I said, made it a movie about an asshole. But he's going to win at the end. That's that's ever that's the happy. But, but I mean, he's not going to stop because these guys <laughs> no. don't stop. That's why that's why I work for twenty hours straight because they don't stop. They can't and they won't. And they don't stop. Tick tock. The bang bang boogie up jump. No, down. I was doing a color me bad. I thought, yeah. I thought, yeah. Oh, I thought Josh was going to jump. I was trying to that. change this. <laughs> I didn't want to go back to that. He didn't want to sex you up. <laughs> nope. I am insulted, sir. You should be. So yeah, I mean, I still have so many issues with this movie. I mean, just because the the whole idea. I mean, it, I I get some of what they were trying to say, but the whole idea of People are just falling over backwards to give this loser money to keep gambling with. You know, it just it's just so unrealistic. I mean, I watch people, you know, begging and scrapping to find a hundred dollar buy in, and you're gonna try and tell me these idiots are gonna watch this guy bet a hundred and sixty thousand on black and then turn around and be like, Yeah, I can't wait to give you money. Dumb. Hmm. Even even somebody who's not in that world, you know, not even close to that world, I could say the same thing. Yeah, it, it just there's a certain point for everyone. It doesn't matter who they are. There's a certain point for everyone 
Every, and and, and this, the saying in poker, in underground poker in our world, is everybody is good for it until they're not. Everybody has that one limit that some night you, you may just get them to it, and then suddenly you're just never going to see them again, and it's just money you just threw away. I mean, people, you know, we don't work in this industry to throw money away. We work in this industry to make money. And it's clear this character was at that point where he was no longer good for it, like in the opening 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I can see why King of Spades wanted to give him the $50,000 because he knew that was an investment and he was going to end up getting that kid in his pocket. Not not um, Mark Wahlberg, but the, the basketball player, I can't think right. of his name. Yeah. He knew, he knew the end game was, was he wasn't going to get paid and he was going to get the kid. So I get that. But the whole, like, you know... Um, uh, John Goodman can't wait to give him a quarter of a million dollars. His mom can't wait to give him a quarter of a million dollars. You know, that's bullshit. Can only kill him once. And there's no way the character that they wrote as his mother, this is another thing that bothered me on this viewing. There is absolutely no way the way they wrote that character that she would not go with him to drop that money off. Right? Yeah. There, there is no way she would hand him $260,000 in cash and be like, go take care of your business. I trust you. See you later. Uh-huh. Okay, honey. The, mo- the mom from the first movie might have done that. This mom would not. Yeah. She'd be like, I'm going to hold on to this. What's the address? Yeah. Yeah. She would say, you're not touching this money. You tell me what who this guy is and how to contact him, and I will pay him myself. Yeah. And, I will, and, tell him, and I will tell him, if you ever let my son into any of your establishments, I'm calling all of my friends and having this place shut down. Yeah, and it's clear that they had called her, so she could have done that. She could yeah. have paid them directly. She would have done that. That's reality. I have had that happen. I have gotten the call from, from the wife, from the mother, from the son. If you let this kid in here, if you let my husband in here, I'm going to call the cops on you. That's happened. That's real. People do that, and she would do that. Like, don't make that character that strong, and then just let her be that weak at the same time. You're knocking down my houses here, man. <laughs> <laughs> man, don't 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 ask a, a a guy who gambles for a living to watch a movie about gambling and not tell you all the faults. Sorry, no. You shouldn't have listened when you asked to do the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, have we uh, reached that point? I think we are to thumbs up, thumbs down. I, I think, think the we river are. is run dry. Yes. Oh, see, look at it. With, that is, is that the only gambling word you know? That's the only one I can think of right now. Oh, okay. Like chips. Everything's a river to, to Joel. Whole house, straight. Straight river. Uh, you got a straight river, or you win. Do you know what a gut shot is? Painful. No, no, seriously. Do you know what a gut shot is? No. I wouldn't expect him to. Do you know what an inside straight is? I know what a straight is. I don't know what an inside straight is. An inside straight draw is like if you have a four, five, seven, eight, and you need the six in the middle to fill in your straight, that's an inside straight. You're drawing to an, to only four cards that can help you. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't gamble, so. I know. <clears throat> not in my jeans but you are <laughs> so you, you want to do thumbs up thumbs down yes, thumbs down thumbs down done no, geez. well nice. you took all the tension out of it <laughs> uh for me it's actually 
pretty obvious. I mean, it was a thumbs up, pretty solid thumbs up for uh, the original and a thumbs down for the uh, remake. Yeah, I'm, and kind of in the same boat as Josh. The only redeeming quality of the, the remake was the FU speech um, mm-hmm. of John Goodman as a whole, but it wasn't Agreed. enough to turn it to a thumbs up. So. Agreed. Yeah, I would say thumbs up, and if the movie was nothing but John Goodman, thumbs up. But unfortunately, they had to have other actors, so thumbs down. Sorry, John. Don't kill me. God, and then he can go... F- I mean, the, the the John Goodman can get really scary when he wants to. Mm-hmm. God, you know what? I would... God. What? I, I should write a screenplay. About oh, <laughs> I've been saying that for 25 years. I, I had a cartoon. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying. Like, I'm not saying like to. I'm just saying like to, to do it right. Like, I'm not saying to even like do anything with just to make myself happy. Just to be like, this is a good poker movie, and I'll just play it in my head. I just think it's funny because I had that cartoon on a cork board 25 years ago with a stick figure sitting on a beanbag, going, "I should write a screenplay." <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, so so many of them are just so bad. These gambling movies are just so bad. If you want to give us your idea for a good gambling movie screenplay or uh, any of the other things that we're going to talk about and not actually do, uh, give us a call. Let us know <laughs> at uh, 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. That's like our motto. <laughs> Stuff we say, but we don't really do. Hey, in our defense, we talked for years about doing some sort of podcast or radio show and... Here, here we are. Here and we're we going to get that going any day now. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and if you want to hear our older stuff, iTunes, Blu-ray, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, Nuna.com, and Podchaser, go over there, leave us a review. We love to hear from you. And uh, next week, Joel, what are we doing? Uh, we're going to get some green slime going on with some Double Dare. That's going to be interesting. I haven't watched Double Dare in l- easily 30 years. I haven't watched it in ever. But it's back. Like Pogs. <laughs> Pogs were never back. The week right. after that. The Pog Show. <laughs> I'm going to be sick that week. <laughs> Elf is back in Pog form. <laughs> I don't feel well. All right. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week. Got any last uh, word uh, poker advice for us, Joel? Uh, always bet on black. <laughs> okay, that's not poker, but we'll go with I, that. <laughs> I'm all in. That's passenger 57. Just say I'm all in. I'm all in. There you go. To you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> what the hell? Hey, he must have done something. <laughs> What'd he do? He is mad. Oh, he was stealing food from Leia. <laughs> Chewbacca! You know he's in trouble if he gets his, uh, his full name. Full name. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.